You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 166. Today's reading is from the first epistle of St. Peter, chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, and chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have a unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. It's been quite some time since we found ourselves discussing the epistles of St. Peter, and today's reading picks up in the middle of his first epistle. So perhaps some orientation is warranted here before we dig in, Father? Yeah, not a bad idea, Jason. We've kind of alluded to something similar that I want to say here with recent episodes on James, and that is that Peter's epistles, like James's epistle, are Pauline in nature. And by that, we mean that what Peter says in these epistles is in line with what Paul teaches in his epistles. In fact, this has led a minority of scholars, and it definitely is a minority, to conclude that Paul is actually the author of Peter's epistle or somehow is behind Peter's epistle. Now, I'm certainly not stating that as a fact. I'm just pointing it out to show that clearly his epistle is Pauline in nature. The biggest difference between Paul's epistles and Peter's is that Peter is writing to a different audience. We hear about this in the opening of First Peter, where he says he writes to the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Okay, and so what does that mean? So writing to the dispersion, or as it can sometimes be translated and, and more commonly known, uh, I think historically as the diaspora, 
means that Peter is writing to the Jews who had been dispersed among the Roman Empire, meaning that they had been forcibly removed and resettled outside the area of Jerusalem and Judea. And, of course, it makes sense that Peter would be writing them, whereas Paul is writing to the Gentile churches, because, as you'll recall, in the Epistle to the Galatians, we've talked about this a couple of times on previous episodes, Paul mentions how he... Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, and that Peter was the apostle to the Jews. So Peter's epistles essentially encompass the Pauline teaching, but instead of being addressed to the Gentiles, they're addressed to a Jewish audience. And that's why you hear some of the things that we heard today from your reading that are quite familiar to those who have read Paul's epistles, although Peter uses a bit different language sometimes to convey that same message, since the audience is different. Yeah, speaking of that, I'd like to look at the first few verses today where Peter writes of Christ as the suffering servant. Are there any uh, key takeaways from these verses, Father? Yeah, as I said, Peter's delivering the same message as Paul, just with a bit different vocabulary at times. And most especially, uh, we can understand the biggest difference being that Peter's audience, since they're Jewish, uh, are familiar with what we now call the Old Testament scriptures, what to them was just scripture. Paul's audience as Gentiles often was not overly familiar with the Scriptures, so Paul had a dual task, really, of of teaching them not just about Christ, but about the Old Testament, because apart from that, you cannot fully understand Jesus as Paul presents him. So in this sense, Peter has a bit of a head start, and and so he can jump right into scriptural references or allusions, and his audience is going to be familiar with that. And that's exactly then what you picked up on with the suffering servant from Isaiah chapter 53. So clearly when Peter says, quote, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness By his wounds you have been healed. That's the end of the quote. You picked up on it. The the Jewish audience certainly would have picked up on it, that he's referring to Isaiah 53, as you mentioned, uh, as colloquially known as the suffering servant passage. So note how Peter doesn't even quote specifically from Isaiah 53, or even mention that he's referencing it. He simply paraphrases because his audience was familiar with what he was talking about. It would seem that Peter was also doing that with the allusion to the sheep, like when he concluded that passage that you referenced by saying, uh, quote, for you were like, excuse me, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Yep, exactly. This is a common metaphor used in scripture, this idea of the sheep and the shepherd, and one that continues, of course, to be used in the life of our church, where at baptism we mentioned Uh, how the newly baptized has become part of the flock, part of the uh, flock of sheep. And this actually brings up a really important point, which is that the sheep listens to the voice of the shepherd. And, And why is it that that's so important to point out, Father? Well, remember, up until recently, very recently in in the grand scheme of of, uh, human history and in in the history of uh, Scripture, essentially up until the printing press, Scripture was rarely read, meaning read silently or to oneself. Rather, Scripture was heard. Scripture was, and of course in this day, in, in the Orthodox Church, it still is proclaimed 
in front of the people for them to hear. So this allusion to the sheep hearing their shepherd is a call for us to hear the voice of God as found in Scripture. That is to say, for the Christian, there is no voice of God in the abstract, just out there somewhere. His voice is specifically found in Scripture, where you hear his will for how you should live your life. And again, Peter's audience knew this since they were Jewish, and so he makes a passing reference to simply remind them. Uh, They don't need him to go into great detail, but to remind them that they are sheep listening to the shepherd. Yeah, that's very helpful. I think we can easily forget or simply not realize how different the world of the Bible was than our own because of the rapid technological changes of the past several hundred years. So I always enjoy that learning that type of context. So getting back to Peter's epistle I read to begin the episode when we get to chapter 3, which was the second half of today's reading, Peter begins to discuss the role of the wife and the husband within Christian marriage. So would you walk us through some of the more important concepts that Peter stresses here? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, let's just point out yet again that Peter sounds almost exactly like Paul in his epistle to the Ephesians where he talks about marriage. And I know we've discussed that before on a previous episode. It's also the reading that's used at the Orthodox Christian wedding service. Now, as to the specific words which he uses are obviously controversial to some in this day and age. Peter says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, clearly, this statement in a vacuum sounds offensive to our modern ears. However, as always, there's a context, and I share this context not to try to appease people who have an entirely non-biblical or even anti-biblical concept of marriage, but simply to explain why Peter says what he says, and then to help us live this out appropriately in our own times. And so what is Peter getting at when he tells wives to be subject to their husbands? Well, you can hear that Peter does not just make that statement uh, without a qualifier. As we discussed on the previous episode, Paul in Ephesians mentions that the husband must love his wife as Christ loves the church which means the husband must make the ultimate sacrifice for his wife and love her even when she's not showing love to him, just as Christ did that with us. For his part, Peter does not say that exactly as Paul does, but he does address the husbands at the end, and I'll get to that in a minute. In the meantime, you can hear that Peter is addressing wives whose husbands may not be believers in Christ as the wives are. And that's why he immediately qualifies the statement about being subject to your husbands by saying, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Again, Peter, as as we've been stressing throughout this episode, is talking to a Jewish community, a community that's already familiar with Scripture, Already with this type of worldview of the husband as the head of the household, as he points out with the uh, biblical reference to Abraham and Sarah. And moreover, these Jews uh, that Peter writes to are living in a Roman society that, quite frankly, was brutal to those who were weak. And by that, I, I don't just mean slaves, but children, people that are handicapped also to women who, by and large, 
of course, are physically weaker than men. And it's very hard for us, I think, to understand in the modern West, after thousands of years of Christian influence, of the teaching and, and learning to care for people who are weaker, so difficult for us to comprehend just how brutal the Romans were by our standards. In Peter's time, we need to keep in mind that there were not office jobs and service jobs, healthcare jobs like there are today, where in our society, women play a, pr- a prominent and, and sometimes even predominant role in those types of jobs. Most of the work available at this time was something that most men in this day and age would prefer not to do, let alone most women. So we have to be careful not to read our own context, our own historical circumstances into the text, and then blaming Peter for not being more in line with uh, you know, what we would call more egalitarian view of marriage that even most of us Orthodox Christians consider to be normal today. So with all of that said, I want to get to Peter is encouraging Christian wives to be role models for their husbands. If the Christian wife is being argumentative with the non-Christian husband, she's belittling him for not adopting the Christian faith, if she's subversive to their household needs because he's not a believer, then she in that day and age and in that culture is likely harming the chances of her husband and her family converting to the Christian faith. And therefore, Peter is explaining how she might win over her husband to following the Christian path by simply being an example. And of course, Jason, how many times have we talked about that on this podcast? The best thing that we can do is to live the faith. Again, that's what it means to be made in the image of God, that we make God present to others by the way we live our lives. Father, to conclude today, would you briefly touch on what Peter says to the Jewish Christian husband? Yeah, absolutely. Peter says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Getting back then to what I said earlier, it's it's hard for us to comprehend a world where the Christian principle of love and care for the weaker has not been taught, as it has been now for the better part of 2,000 years. But here, in Peter's admonition to husbands, we're hearing it taught. Peter is telling the husband to live with their wives in a, quote, understanding way. It's not the norm for the time that Peter lives. The wife was seen as the property of the husband. And Peter tells the husband not to view the wife in that way. In fact, stating that the wife is, quote, an heir with you of the grace of life. So in saying this, Peter is exalting the wife way above how any Roman of his time, and for that matter, any Jew of his time, would have likely seen his wife. And then finally, he alludes to the fact that if the husband does not live that way, that way that he has commanded of taking care of someone who society sees as weaker than his prayers will be hindered. So this is a very serious issue for Peter and for husbands. Not taking care of your wife, not being understanding with her, and the natural differences that she has from you as a man, not viewing her as an heir with you in grace, that attitude, he says, will hinder your relationship with God. Thank you, Father. In today's episode, we began with a reminder that Peter, unlike Paul, was writing to the diaspora which were the Jews who were dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. And in the opening verses, we hear of Christ as the suffering servant, which was a reference to Isaiah 53, 
and one that Peter's audience would have been familiar. Specifically, Peter uses the common metaphor of the believer as a sheep within the flock, and this is important because the sheep listens to the voice of the shepherd. It's important to remember that until the printing press, Scripture was rarely read to oneself, but rather it was proclaimed before the people. For the Christian, there is no voice of God in the abstract. His voice is found in Scripture. We then discuss the role of husband and wife within Christian marriage. Peter addresses the wife first, encouraging them to be a role model for their husbands. Over time, this behavior may win over her husband to follow the Christian path, simply by setting an example. As for the husband, Peter states the wife is an heir with you of the grace of life. The husband should care for his wife being understanding and compassionate. Not doing so will hinder his relationship with God. These concepts reinforce the fact that the best thing we can do is to live the faith, that we make God present to others by the way we live our lives. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God. Oh.